Hello and welcome back to the history of video games. My name is Ben and I'm joined by the one and only Wes. How you doing, Wes? Welcome back. I'm doing great. Welcome back to you as well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, it's a special day today. It's uh, your birthday. <gasps> How dare you bring that up? I know. But see, <laughs> nobody knows when these episodes are recorded, so you'll be young forever, basically. Hey, don't say that. Someone will hack us. <laughs> I can see it now. Big scandal going to be in in the news <laughs> no but I'm, I'm doing pretty good how about you i'm doing good yeah i mean i've had a nice relaxing birthday weekend and i mean you were definitely part of that gifted me some games i gotta try out but oh, i yeah. haven't gotten to them quite yet there's some other stuff i gotta talk to you about first wes okay lay it on me all right so let's um go back a couple of weeks actually i've kind of been in this like searching for a good game kind of mood you know <laughs> I haven't really like gotten lost into something since um since uh, Enderall completed. So um I've been searching for something and I bought a game called Grim Dawn, which right. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's kind of like a uh what are they called? Action RPG. It's yeah. like the Diablo style or um Lost Ark, I think is also in that kind yep. of style. So isometric view, you know, big killing like of lots of monsters in one sweep and stuff. So uh, I quite like that, and in general, the gameplay is great, and the action feels very visceral and impactful. You know, if you one-shot like a zombie, he's just going to fly across the screen and break apart into a couple pieces, which nice. is really nice. Oh, yeah. So the combat feels great, but there's other reasons why I kind of stopped playing it. I was kind of looking for like a single-player narrative kind of game, and really the story behind Grim Dawn is about as complex as it is in um, Path of Exile, which to me isn't like that <laughs> big. I mean, it definitely has some stuff, but it's not like there's big cutscenes or, you know, like a big boss that you're really going towards, you know, in the first act of the game or something like that, you know? So it just wasn't a whole lot of dialogue or much story. It's, it's more just go out and explore and some things might happen you know, story related, but you weren't necessarily trying to do that. Right. Okay. And the other thing, it kind of sold me on a false hope of base building. I remember looking at the Steam page and it's like, you know, your camp will improve over time. And it kind of showed this before and after of like, you know, a vendor showing up. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. But it's, again, not really something I can do on purpose. It's more like a reward for a quest. And I don't really know that until I do the quest. I got you. So, okay. And it wasn't really any kind of base building at all. It was more like a, occasionally things change on their own, pretty much. <laughs> so I don't know. It just wasn't, it wasn't gripping me. And then I got to this one area. I had a, at this point not died at all in the game. I was only playing on like normal, but I hadn't died. And I got to this point in the game where I went into this dungeon where it required a one-time use key which was already weird in a single player game. And I fought in it for quite a while before I died in it. And the monsters in that dungeon were way harder than anything else in the game. And I find out later it's like part of some end game specialty dungeon place. And to get extra keys, you have to grind certain mobs for it. And I'm just thinking, well, I don't want to grind anything in a single player game. <laughs> like, <laughs> what's the point? I just go in there to get better loot. Like, why? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It felt very weird to have that be an option at such a low level when it's supposed to be like 
first of all, things are scaled. So if I had done it at a low level, I think the gear would have gotten bad over time eventually anyway. And I probably did do it again. So I don't know. It was kind of just put me off of it. And um, I went on to other things. But the actual core mechanics are fun. I was just looking for something different, I think. Something a little bit extra. And I also kind of wanted something maybe a little bit more like bullet helly almost where my powers would be just like totally extravagant and super out there. You know, I want to hit one button and fire 25 missiles, you know, in every direction. Right. right. You know, just, just very arcadey. And that, that wasn't this either. Not that this was bad. It was just not what I was looking for. So I put it down for now and we'll see if I come back to it. Yeah. It's weird. I did play Grim Dawn for a little bit before, and mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the mood I was in or what, but I didn't even get like halfway through the second mission, I think. I was just not feeling yeah. it and put it down. And I really think it is a good game because I know tons of people love it, but I don't know. There's just something like different about it that didn't grab me either. So I can uh, understand where you're coming from with that. <laughs> yeah, it definitely feels like one of these games that is supposed to make you go back to places that you've been and explore them at a later time. And I'm just like, I'm too old for that. I got things to do. (laughs) I don't want to go through an area I've already been to. So I don't know. It just kind of put me off a little bit, but, uh, you know, I've got other, other games I've been working on too, but I'll tell you about them next time. What have you been up to though, Wes? I see, uh, I see you on that dark souls grind a little bit, but, Oh yeah. uh, What else have you been doing? Well, you know, that's, uh, the grind is what I'm going to talk about. Okay. Because it's been a few weeks since we've recorded just uh, random things going on, all good things, but we've been a little busy. And I have just been gripped by the Elden Ring hype. When this oh, yeah. episode releases, it'll probably have been out for about like two weeks or something. But as of the time of recording, it's like days away. So I am fully in the hype for it. And I have been pushing and playing tons of Dark Souls 3 to get to the last boss. And as of a couple hours before recording, I beat him. So, nice. Yeah, I did all of the base game optional content because there's a couple of optional zones you can do that have extra bosses. Did all of those before I did the final boss, and those were super fun. I still haven't done either DLC because I know some of them have some really hard bosses, which I want to attempt, but I didn't want to like rush into it to try and do it before Elden Ring especially because it's mainly I just wanted to experience the game before Elden Ring I don't think there's going to be any tie-ins other than possibly items and item descriptions that hint at the previous games in the series you know Mm -hmm. but man just going through and playing all of Dark Souls 3 I don't know if it was the compact period I did it in or what but it is such an epic sprawling adventure the environments even though dark souls is fairly linear i mean it's got a decent amount of offshoots that you can do but it's sort of like you kind of explore all these little offshoots on your path but you're always heading in the same direction Mm -hmm. the maps are still just huge uh, which makes me even more excited and slightly worried though based on the gameplay i've seen mainly just excited for open world Elden Ring. But all of the set pieces, I guess you would call them, are super cool. They do this thing in Dark Souls 3 that they also do in Bloodborne, where as you get 
towards the end of the game and towards the last couple bosses, the skybox changes to look like ominous. The sun is replaced by this big black hole in the sky that's kind of this recurring <laughs> symbol in Dark Souls. It's like the dark sign on humanity that forever curses them and all this weird eldritch kind of lore stuff, which I love. But they just did so much to make it this cinematic, wonderful experience. I felt a little bad because I did all these optional areas, so I actually beat the second to last boss first try. I was like, okay, maybe I'm a little bit overpowered. <laughs> Although part of that's also just watching tons of people stream these games and residually picking up all of their movesets and learning how to fight them and all that. So uh, that's a little unavoidable. But with all that, just super excited. I'm not burned out on this type of game yet. And I'm trying to go in fairly blind to Elden Ring, uh, which means I won't have the benefit that I have with all these bosses where I'm like, oh yeah, this one has a phase two and his moveset changes up. I don't know exactly what it does, but I know it's going to come. This time I'm going to be like, yeah, I killed a boss. And you know, every now and then from software is going to add in a phase two where the boss just gets back up and you have to fight him uh, again. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of excited for that. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be really fun. So I've just been riding the hype train. I pre-ordered the game, which I, I know is a bad consumer habit, but you know, I can't help the hype. Come on, Wes. <laughs> How'd they lured you in? Where, what are you getting? Honestly, nothing. Uh, it's just that I know I'm going to buy it anyway and I can preload it and that's the whole thing. Oh, okay. You can preload it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think tomorrow I can start preloading and then a couple days later I can play it right after I get back from work. Uh, okay. yeah, but it, it's kind of weird. I mean, I guess it's kind of a good thing, but the pre-order bonuses that they give you aren't very good for the base game. One is a gesture, like they always have these weird gestures in dark souls games like the praise the sun emote is one of the most popular ones um they always end up being kind of memey and people use them in pvp but sometimes they mm -hmm. actually actually have like in-game uses like in dark souls 3 you can do the um path of the dragon emote where you kneel down and if you do it in a certain spot it leads you to a whole different area that you wouldn't be able to access before but this time they give you uh emote but then like in an asterisk next to it it says you also get it later in the game anyway, so <laughs> which is okay. good. In this kind of game, I don't really like exclusive pre-order content. In Dark Souls 2, you got like a bunch of extra really good weapons early on in the game if you pre-ordered. And I feel like most people I watched were just like, I'm just not going to use these because that's not the point of Dark Souls. Uh, so right. I'm totally fine with the somewhat lame-ish pre-orders i do get a digital adventure guide which i'm sure will have some cool visual art in it and maybe some mm -hmm. lore that isn't in the game uh, so i'm excited about that but okay yeah i could keep talking for a while basically i'm so thrilled <laughs> that i got through dark souls 3 gonna do the dlcs at some point but right now my priority is just sitting and waiting for elden ring <laughs> okay okay i see it well that sounds good man I definitely want to play Dark Souls sometime. I'll probably start with one, I guess. Eventually, they're on Steam now, right? So Yes, yeah, they're all on Steam. Okay, yeah, definitely. I'll have to check that out sometime. I think I'd like it, so. Yeah, I think you would, too. It's a real good time. All right, cool. But should we get into the special topic now? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm excited for today's. we got more games to talk about. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's do it. So we're going to do um, our 
yearly best developer special topic which um is this year pretty late <laughs> like usually we try to do it around august like in the middle of the year and uh we're almost done september so <laughs> uh, it's a little late but we've just been busy with other important special topics we had to talk about so yeah i wanted to get to it now now so wes i pretty much only looked at the arcade games just because on computer like there are some publishers that publish a lot of games but not like big ones you know they'll be like pinball and hangman and stuff and it's like yeah right none of these companies are gonna win <laughs> so yeah i didn't really even include them i was just looking pretty much at arcade games and i didn't include console on purpose because that's its own category at the end of the year so i was looking pretty much just at uh arcade games and i also didn't write everyone down because that would just take forever <laughs> there's like over, over a year of uh arcade games have come out so i just looked at the bigger companies the ones i thought could really genuinely make it um and i looked from the time we did this last time which again was like around august of 78 until uh the episode before today so i'm gonna go through all the games quick and then you'll be able to let me know which one you think is the best or uh, you know, the best for 78 to 79. All right. Which I think last time Atari won. I could be wrong. I kind of forget. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So Atari's won like three times. I think like Taito <laughs> or Midway has won once. Yep. So we'll see. Let's start off with like two big names that I know people would be curious about, but I don't really think they have any chance of winning. Which oh, is Don't tell me that. <laughs> Namco and Nintendo. Okay. Nintendo yeah. only had three releases on for the arcade. Computer Othello, Space Fever, and Space Fever High Splitter, which were um, Space Invaders clones. So, not a whole lot to go off of there. And then Namco had Bombi and GB, which both okay. you and I have played as uh, Breakout slash uh, Pinball Games. And he also came out with Super Breakout. So, again, not a great lineup. <laughs> but, you know, they're working on something. <laughs> So let me get into some of the other ones that I do think maybe could push you one way. I don't know. Let's start off with probably the smallest company here. Cinematronics only came out with Starhawk this whole last year, which is a phenomenal game. It's a vector graphics down the trench game that you rated at the oh, time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty cool. I, I liked it a lot. But that's it for them. Whereas their rival company, Vector Beam, came out with Speed Freak, which was the vector graphics racing game I did. They also prototyped Oops, which was the inappropriate game. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Barrier, which Cinematronics actually made and sold to them, which is the Mattel football, but on an arcade machine with the big Grim Reaper on it game. So, fairly small lineup for them, three games. Also, with a fairly small lineup, we've got Meadows Games. They only came out with Deadeye and Gypsy Juggler, really. They also came out with Gridiron, which we didn't do or we couldn't find info for, and Warp Speed, which was a prototype before they went under. So pretty much just Deadeye and Gypsy Juggler uh, for them. Right. Unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's get into some of the bigger ones now, I think. Let's start with Universal. Probably one of the smaller names, but uh, I think their lineup's actually pretty decent. They came out with Getaway, which was this crazy racing game where your car caught fire. I don't know if you remember that, Wes. It was in yeah, the yeah. color graphics. It was all right. They also had some weird stuff, like a clean sweep clone and a computer Othello clone. But they also came out with two versions of Cosmic Monsters, which was a Space Invaders clone. The second one, um, 
involve uh, sprites coming back to life, which was kind of cool. If you didn't hit down the bonus ship, I think. That I, I did review, and also Galaxy Wars, which was the homing missile game that you reviewed, Wes. So all I right. think their lineup's all right. Yeah. You know? Not too bad. Midway came out with four games, but they're all great, I think. Dog Patch, which, I mean, you loved. Oh, yeah. I also love. Blue Shark, <laughs> again, another one I, I really liked. Four-player bowling alley and shuffleboard. So, <laughs> I don't think it's too bad for them. Model Racing came out with four games. Super oh, wow. Road Champions. Uh, Super Shot. Both of those, I think you reviewed. Super Shot was the, um, the black and white light gun game where you shot beer pitchers off the counter, I think. Right. Yeah, it was sort of a shooting gallery with different, a uh, couple different things going on. Yeah. And uh, also Kane and Orbite, which were two prototypes that they did that, again, I think you, you checked out. One had the, like, mothership in it. <laughs> the other That's one right. was uh, the one where you, if you shoot the dog, he gets really, really upset at you. So. <laughs> <laughs> Who else do we have here? Let's go to Exidy next. They only had four games. Football by Exidy, which I don't think we did. It was a clone of World Cup soccer. But then Starfire, an amazing game that you reviewed ripcord another good one and sidetrack another good one yeah so i think you reviewed all those last three last up i think i did yeah <laughs> and then let's go to the big three that are left here um you all know them hopefully the one that's surprising to me i think it's most likely to actually give an upset is sega gremlin i was on the fence of, as to whether i should combine them but uh Sega just by itself didn't really do too much, so I thought might as well combine them. Yeah. But Sega by themselves came out with a game called Secret Base, which we couldn't review. It was like a bombing game. Pro Racer, Sinking Yamato, Space Attack, and Castling. Pretty much all of those we couldn't review, but they sounded cool. Um, but then the Gremlin combination games included Frogs, which is one of my favorite from last year. Fortress, which was... um this timing-based shooting game that I reviewed in the very early part of the year where it was like cannons and you had to shoot missiles out of the sky before they hit your castle or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, It was kind of cool. And then head-on, obviously a game-changer, Pac-Man-type game, and Deep Scan, which you did. That's right. I think their line is pretty cool. It's pretty varied. It's got a lot of like little niche ones like Fortress, Head On, and Frogs. At the time, I'm sure we're all very different and unique, but then would obviously be replicated. But then moving on now to Taito, they don't do a whole lot. But, um, you know, usually when they put stuff out, it's pretty good. But this year, not so much. I mean, some breakout clones. They had some Space Invaders clones, including their Part 2, which was not the best. <laughs> Ballpark 2, which was a, probably a port of extra inning. And field goal, which I, I did really like. It was the, it was the uh, weird one that had the helmets guarding the, yes. the goal. I don't know, kind of weird. Yeah, I remember that one. And then finally, Atari. It's gonna be hard to beat them. I think they came out with Super Breakout, Atari Football, Orbit, which was a um, base war game, Video Pinball, and their follow-up Solar War to that. Atari Basketball, Subs, Atari Baseball, and Lunar Lander for the arcade. So, um, that was a lot to go through, Wes. Uh, okay, yeah. Do you remember them all? Do you want to, like, a little... Can maybe do a little recap? No, no, I think I got them. Only question okay, I had good. was if, when we did our last best dev of the year, 
we had just hit the tail end of when Space Invaders was included in that last year, right? The original? Yeah. Now that I remember, I think we might have actually said Taito last year. We might have, yeah. That's very because true. Because of Space Invaders. Because that's going to make a big difference. <laughs> Space Invaders being in your yearly lineup? Okay. Space Invaders Part 2? Not so much. <laughs> <laughs> right. So with that, I think I got to take Taito out of the running. They've, you know, done some admirable uh, sequels, but not much there. Mm-hmm. And I've got two different minds here. If you're thinking, okay. who is the most productive and probably making like the most consistently good games, I think you got to give it to Atari just because of how much they have been putting out and how much, mm-hmm. how many solid games. But for the not even like unique original games, but just like the best interpretation of games that I think we've seen. And uh, I think it's going to be my vote. I got to give it to Exidy because okay, we've seen the sort of like Lunar Lander style games, but Ripcord had such cool theming to it. Uh, such mm-hmm. a great background and cool animations for the guy when he landed. Uh, just lots of good stuff there. And then sidetrack even though it wasn't the original head-on added a bunch of cool mechanics with the changing tracks that kind of like you can't just jump from track to track it changes the path that the ai follows after you go from track to track i thought that was really cool and of course starfire if i'm remembering right is the one that's basically just like really awesome Bob Bishop Star Wars, right? Where you're... Yeah, it had the, the mini-map kind of thing to it. Yes, down at the and bottom. And it was in color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think I got to give it to them because that, I mean, Starfire was great. And yeah, they just did a lot of good stuff even when they were sort of clones like uh, Ripcord and Sidetrack. Yeah. They were still really innovative and cool. Definitely put their own spin to it and they were good spins. So I totally support that decision. Do you have like a number two and three that you were thinking? You mentioned Atari. Do you think Atari number two? I think Atari number two, just because even if they didn't have like a bunch of like standout games that I thought were incredible, other than of course the uh, two video pinball games, which had great mm-hmm. visual style. I think they just have a lot of consistent good games there. Yeah. And then three, I think has got to be Sega Gremlin because they've also just done a lot of I mean, yeah, they head did on. it head on, I mean, so cool. which, yeah, is basically the early start of Pac-Man and then just a lot of other solid stuff in there, even if they didn't have yeah. a bunch of other ones that hit it out of the park. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I love doing these lists because it kind of shows me like some of the smaller companies and what they've been up to. Like Universal, I think, has done really well this past year. Absolutely. Yeah. With their racing games and Space Invader takes. And the big one was the homing missile one that you did which was again pretty cool so yeah we'll have to keep an eye out on them and obviously meadows games we know is going away unfortunately but we'll see who else on this list uh stays around for next year so you heard it here first guys exity number one company of 1978 to 79 so oh yeah we'll try to do this next august hopefully we're on time and uh (laughs) see what changes but until then let's hop into the timeline
Hello, everybody. Welcome back from that break. Let's get right into our timeline today. We've got a interesting uh, Lunar Lander game to talk about first called Tranquility Base by Stoneware and Bill Budge for the Apple II. Uh, this one we just know came out sometime late 79, so we're putting it here in uh, September. But this is a Lunar Lander game that we wanted to talk a little bit about. I'm not going to give it a full review because it does have some really interesting graphics to it. The gameplay in general is pretty similar to the Atari Arcade version. You're given a set amount of fuel and you have to safely land on a flat surface by, you know, like mitigating your thrust in different directions so that you move slowly. And the landing surfaces are scattered throughout mountains, which basically if you don't land on a flat surface, you explode. The view is kind of this 2D view with mountains on the bottom with some flat spots that you can land and a lander that starts at the top of the screen. And as you get closer to the ground, the camera actually zooms in on the landing zone so you can kind of do more fine detail movements and you can tell what you're doing a little bit better. And if you scroll over to the left or right side, it also swaps to another screen. Uh, I couldn't really tell if it was infinite, but it does at least generate a little bit more to one side or the other. So that's nice. You don't just crash if you hit the side, but not a mountain. Uh, and one of the real good things about this is that the lander itself actually looks pretty good. It's kind of made of like a rectangle with an antenna and then a circle on the top for the pod with legs, uh, sort of like in a wireframe graphic style, although 2D. And it has graphics. I don't know if you'd really call them a sprite, but graphics for it spinning in full 360 degrees too. Uh, so that's really nice. You can turn the lander all the way around and it looks good in pretty much all those directions. And the thruster is also really simple looking. It's kind of just an upside down triangle that gets larger and uh, smaller based on how much thrust you're putting out. But it moves pretty fast in response to your controls. Uh, so it actually looks really fluid, even though it's just this big triangle carrot thing moving back and forth. And it looks like it's happening in real time when you're inputting the thrust, which is really nice. Unfortunately, though, there aren't any sounds for the thrusters. Uh, there is a weird like series of clicks for when you crash and the animation for when you crash is pretty good. It just sort of breaks into pieces like the circular part goes flying up and then the rectangular part drifts off to one side and then the legs just kind of float up and they just fly up into space. Uh, so it's pretty satisfying, no real explosion, but it's nice to see it kind of fly to pieces. Uh, but other than that, it's a pretty simple Lunar Lander game. You have some helpful information as per usual with like your vertical and horizontal, or horizontal, not horizontal, uh, <laughs> movement and your altitude and how much thrust you're inputting. And to win, you basically have to see how many times you can successfully land with the remaining fuel. So it's not like your fuel gets reset each time you land. It's like you get 600 units of fuel and you try to land as many times as possible. So it has some interesting elements in it to switch it up, but the graphics are the real reason that we wanted to mention it here. Yeah, this looks super good, but uh, I mean, pretty much the same as the arcade version, really. So yeah. go check out my arcade review. <laughs> but moving on, we've got Space 2 next by Dave Bullock and Edu Ware which is an expansion pack for Space 1, which I did review in full 
I'll give you guys a bit of an overview for Space 2, because it apparently did sell pretty well. Um, I don't know if you remember the sauce, but in Space 1, it kind of started out, the first half of the game is like you get drafted by the military, and it's just trying not to die or get like psychologically scarred while in the military. Right. Yeah. Uh, which is just pretty much dice rolls. And then you get like, you retire and like go on to civilian life and you pick a job and do like a bunch of different mini games for that job. But in this Space 2 expansion pack, you got two additional jobs and maybe, I couldn't tell, maybe in the drafting army phase, there's some more options. I'm not sure, but definitely you had two extra job paths that you could go down, but they're pretty weird and I don't really understand them at all. <laughs> One of them is called uh, Psychedelia or something like that. It's about taking a bunch of drugs and... Um, I don't really know what you're trying to do with that one. Yeah, I don't know. It was the 70s, man. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, a career choice, apparently. Um, and then the other one is called Shaman, which you roam around the world, I guess, in an ATV, trying to visit villages and practice your religion on them. Which, again, hmm. seems kind of weird, but uh, apparently you can become like a better priest and level up that way, so there's some sort of leveling up. <laughs> And the ATV had its own uh, UI, which was kind of interesting. I mean, it looked all right, but not enough for me to warrant going back and playing it again <laughs> or making you do it. <laughs> so uh, I just left it there. But it is kind of an interesting little expansion pack that apparently did very well. So why don't you tell us about the other you do weird games, games though, Wes? Because they're starting to get bigger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, space is probably one of the more interesting ones, but we have another few and who knows in the next couple of years if they're still around we might cover something uh, but some of the other ones that came out were perception esp war zintar subliminal rescue and storyteller there were some other games too but they were all of these are kind of mostly related to memory type games so not really anything we wanted to cover in depth mm -hmm. yeah pretty much stuff we've seen before um, moving on though, let's let's go to the Commodore Pet for a second. We got B29 Bomber, which I did look at again, not total full review, but a little bit more detail. I wanted to mention it and just give it a little bit more of a shout out because again, the visuals on this are quite good. The thing that really steered me away from wanting to play it was the fact that there's no sound at all. <laughs> so we need some sound, guys. Just like this is a bombing game, be nice if the bombs made a sound. When they exploded things. That's too much to ask. <laughs> <laughs> but this is kind of a, it's a scrolling graphics game, which again, you don't really see those too much on computers. As a scrolling graphics game, kind of almost like Air Raid, where you're a bomber. In this case, the, your bomber just looks like a plus sign, but you're a bomber. And there's this kind of path, I guess it's the road, that goes, you know, in and out in a big S curve. Um, as the screen is scrolling and you don't have to follow it because you're a plane but it's kind of helps to follow it because there'll be buildings that you're supposed to bomb off the road or right on the road um, all the buildings represent some some military thing but um, I thought it just looked really cool because it's this top down view of a road that's winding and the road isn't the same um, like width the whole time it kind of like gets nearer and and wider as it goes and, and a very kind of not realistic but it gives it a little bit more depth than a lot of these other like even racing games 
just because like there'll be time when it looks like the road has been bombed out already and it, it kind of stops for a second and stuff kind of just adds a little bit to the world and there's a couple different quote-unquote buildings to hit and when you hit them there's a really nice explosion animation so i thought graphically the game was really cool and i love the scrolling graphics on it but you know it needs to go a little faster maybe the frame rate's probably it's not terribly slow but i would say it's maybe i don't know 10 frames a second mm. i mean it's not it's not terrible but it could be a little faster and uh obviously we need some sound in here guys <laughs> uh but yeah it, it's an interesting one so definitely check it out if you guys can and again it's called b29 bomber by arn gleason nice then we have a few Programma International games that we wanted to take a look at. The first one is Motocross, uh, which is also by Chris Oberth, who we've seen a couple times before. And this seems pretty similar to other Motocross games that have played on the uh, P50X stunt cycle cart. Uh, so nothing we haven't seen before. Uh, still pretty cool to see it on a computer. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a couple more here. Um... I'm not going to go into detail about what they all are because there's just so many and all, all these are things we've seen before or that we didn't really have too much info on to like go more in depth and really figure out what the gameplay is. But we know they existed, so I want to mention real quick. All by Programma, we have Battlestar 1, Boxing, Breakthrough, Canter Downs, Lunar Lander, Magic Square, Saucer War, Space War, Speedway, and Star Voyager among some others. Again, you can find the whole list on our website, so definitely go head over there and check it out. But they've been busy. That's the thing I wanted to get across. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Programma does a lot, whether it's stuff that yeah. we want to look at. I mean, they're still probably one of the like biggest commercial computer game companies out there. They do so mm -hmm. much. <laughs> definitely. Uh, but now let's take a quick detour into TRS-80 land, where we have Sonic Torpedoes by William Case. And this is a static target shooting game, but the big gimmick or cool like technological innovation with this one is that you could attach this audio input device to the TRS-80, which is basically like a microphone, except I think it translates it into a language that the TRS-80 could understand. And to fire your torpedo, you had to actually say fire into the audio device. Uh, which is pretty cool. You know, it's the origins of Hey You Pikachu on the Nintendo 64. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, let's move on to the Soft Side magazine for September 1979, though. And this includes the first one that I rated today, the only one I rated, called Treasure Dungeon 2, which is an interesting name because I don't think Treasure Dungeon 1 existed. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't know. Maybe it was just their second version. I don't know. Creates that extra bit of mystery, you know? Yeah. Uh, Softside, by the way, is a TRS-80 only magazine, and they do have a big cover title, but this was not the big cover game for this issue. But it was the first one in the magazine, and I wanted to check it out. It seemed kind of cool and interesting. It's, uh, I guess we could say an RPG, more so than a um, text adventure. Although it has a little bit of both. It's kind of weird. I mean, you're in a maze, right? And you're going in between these small rooms, going north, south, east, and west. But each room has a little description on it, just like we would in a text adventure. And pretty much all you're doing is collecting treasures. So, 
again, that's kind of similar to a text adventure. But the RPG elements are really, really comes in with the fact that you're fighting monsters and that there's some sort of graphical representation on the screen. It's not just all text. Okay. You've got like a little, I don't know, it's like, I guess, six pixels that make up a little man sprite, which is you. You can't actually move around, but as you go in between the rooms, the rooms change size and it's pretty much, they're all boxes, but some of them will have, uh, you know, doors on the sides and, and sometimes they'll be open, meaning like a hallway that way. Um, so you're just going in between these boxes pretty much, but your dude's always there, which is cool. And, um, as you go in these rooms, all you're doing is really looking for monsters to fight and treasure to collect. And that's pretty much it. I don't think there's even equipment or anything like that. And there's no magic in the game. <laughs> I'll explain the combat in a second, but it's very simple. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. It seems similar to thing, things we've done before. One of the main selling points, I think, is that the maze is very large. And this game was also in this issue because it was an example game. It, w it was something where they showed all the code in the magazine. And they were like, hey, go in and, and change, change it to be monsters that you think would be cool and stuff like that. So um, it was definitely more of an educational-based game of how to build an RPG. So I don't want to judge it too harshly, but um, it is pretty basic. So pretty much all you do, you go around, try to find new paths through this maze, essentially. It's highly encouraged that you map out the maze because there's some, like, I think at least 70 rooms, maybe upwards of 100-something. Wow. So um, there's a lot of rooms. There's only one level. And you can quit out early if you go back to the start. So that is possible, although I'm not sure if it saves your progress or not. One of the things I hate about it the most, actually, is the scoring system, because uh, I don't think there is any. <laughs> in fact, in the uh, magazine, it says, <laughs> and I quote, <laughs> When you find and defeat all the monsters, the game is over. You may then rate yourself on how long it has taken you. <laughs> <laughs> which pretty much means hey we didn't do anything like that to give you a rating i just thought that was hilarious you may rate yourself <laughs> so um i thought that was funny yeah but uh kind of shows you how simple the game is one of the things i do like about the game it only has uh like six commands and it tells you what they are on screen at all times you've got north south east west d which i think is door Oh no, sorry, D is draw, so it redraws the room, which I don't think has, that makes any difference, but <laughs> I guess that could be useful sometime. <laughs> and um, you have a Q button, which is like your uh, status, so it tells you how much gold you have, how many monsters you've defeated, how long you've been in the dungeon, which I guess you could use to track score, but <laughs> it doesn't. I like how they didn't mention that in the, uh, the article. <laughs> it also gives you an idea of how much health you have because it doesn't actually tell you how much health you have it just says you feel strong and are not wounded or you know you are wounded stuff like this and apparently there's a way to heal yourself if you're wounded but i don't know what that is i couldn't find it in the uh soft side issue and uh, i played this game a little bit but i never got wounded so <laughs> i wasn't able to test that i did test combat when you go into a room Sometimes, or actually sometimes there's a door and whenever you get to a door, it actually gives you options of you can either listen through the door, um, open it or just retreat, you know, back off from the door. 
and I thought listening was kind of a cool option. I was able to hear that there's a monster behind the door, which was oh, cool. Neat. Yeah. So you can kind of plan ahead a little bit and not get just ambushed by a monster, which is nice. But I did go through the door, and there was actually a big monster ogre-looking sprite in the room with me, which I thought that sprite was really cool. You know, for the TR-80, I'm expecting just text graphics, <laughs> pretty much. But no, there's a sprite of an ogre, which is cool. But then it was like, there were four ogres in this room feasting on a goblin or something. You know, do you want to try to fight them or bypass them or run away? And so that was also a cool little decision I got to pick from. But there definitely weren't four sprites in that room. There <laughs> was just right. one. Yeah. And it was like, there's four ogres in here. <laughs> but I decided to fight it. And it's weird. It's like this kind of back and forth combat where it says... You know, you swung at the ogre and hit it, and it's it becomes wounded. And then it'll say, the ogre swings at you and hits you. Do you want to retreat or hit again kind of deal? And you just keep doing that until one of you die. But I don't know how you know. Like, the whole time I was fighting, it just kept saying, you know, you wound the ogre, you wound the ogre, you wound the ogre. But I was like, but how many wounds does it take to kill them, though? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's something you could learn with time and just figure out how many hits it takes, but I don't know. I hit him like maybe four or five times. Maybe I had to do it one for each ogre that was in there. I don't know. But um, And then I got hit like four or five times, but then after I won and got the gold, I checked my status and it said, like, you're totally healthy and have no wounds. I was like, okay. <laughs> Seems weird. Huh, but interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't really know how the combat works, but it's, it's very simple. There's no magic. There's no gear. It's pretty much RNG random, and that's pretty much all the game is. So there's no real point to the game other than trying to map out the whole maze, I guess, and kill all the monsters and get all the loot. But um, yeah, it's a it's a very simple RPG. So with that being said, let me get into my ratings. Because I did rate this one. I give gameplay a 1.5 out of 10. All there is to it is the fact that you've got a big maze with some fighting in it. But the fighting's just like RNG fighting. So you don't really have that. <laughs> but um, I didn't hate myself playing the game. A lot of the extra features like all the rooms having a description. And having options for how to proceed past an enemy or a door. Kind of give it a little bit of depth. Which was cool. So that kind of helped with the gameplay a little bit. And I like the fact that you can just hit a button and get all the info, all the vital statistics. I mean, again, not in numbers, which is what I want, but it's just a simple, you know, hit one button. Now you get all the UI info that you need. You hit the button again. Now you're back on the map. It made it very clean and very, um, very simple. You only have six buttons in the whole game. So I kind of like parts of it. It was just missing depth in the, fighting and um i don't know maybe a little bit of story would have helped <laughs> <laughs> right or maybe yeah. some extra levels to the dungeon would have been cool you know having like a mini boss or something for each floor or something we, we've seen that before a little bit but um nothing really like that in here so i kept it pretty low for graphics i did give this a 1.75 out of 10 because it's not all text-based which surprised me <laughs> You do have rooms that show like big abbreviations for the doors. You have a lot of text that explain what the room is. Like it might say, there's mold on the south wall of this room. <laughs> Stuff like right. that. Um, and you do have 
actual little sprites of your human and also uh, monsters. So it's got a couple things going on. I could always use more of them, but not too terrible. It is black and white. It's TRS-80. So 1.75 there. For sound, I gave that a zero because no sound. And for relevance, I gave it a three and a half out of ten. Like maybe it inspired somebody to be like, oh, now I know how to write an RPG and they went on and did something really cool. But I don't know if there's a way for us to really prove that. And right. on its own, it seems like, again, the shell of a game. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I don't think it really did all that much. It wasn't the cover game for the issue. So I don't know. It seemed more like a fun learning thing for the readers. But Softside isn't the largest magazine either. It's probably one of the more important ones for us because it's all games pretty much. But like creative computing has way more readers. So I left it pretty low at three and a half. And overall, I gave it a 1.25 out of 10. It's okay, but you know, it needs some sounds. We need some more graphics. <laughs> we need some horror text and we need some uh, better combat because right. uh, they did this better on the Play-Doh Network like five years ago. So <laughs> pretty much. It's insane how hard it is to still live up to Pet at Five. <laughs> I know. <laughs> cool. Interesting. It's all right, though. You know, not the best of the year, but it's not going to be the worst, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. And again, you have to keep in mind, it's more of an educational thing. So right. um, knowing that, uh, it makes it a little bit better. Yeah, I, I do like how open it is and how it seems like it's kind of customizable and more like you could look at the gaps and say, here's where I would improve this if I were to make my own game. So it definitely has some cool yeah. stuff going for it there. And I, I mean, I know I mentioned this earlier, but also like in the magazine article, it says like, you know, if you want to change the monster, like put in the monster name in this line, you know what I mean? So it kind of can make, make it so that you can make your own dungeon experience with this, which is cool. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe not the best, uh, most fun play, but definitely pretty interesting. Yep. Well then. We just have a couple more that we are for that soft side magazine to mention. Uh, we have Pyramids by Lewis Garrison, which is basically a peg game, but the pegs are pyramids for some reason. Uh, so not too much different there, just kind of different theming and a little bit different gameplay, I believe, for a peg puzzle kind of game. And then also in that soft side magazine, we have Engineer by David Bulk, which is some sort of strange, like, bridge building maybe type game that was the cover game for the issue but didn't look super interesting so we didn't end up playing it yeah <laughs> and now we're going to move on to what's called the si the simutech package one so we have simutech which is a company that makes a lot of computer games and they have been making games for some time but they came out with this big package that was actually published by adventure international I have seen dates for 1980 for the pack, but definitely the games were out at least as individuals in 79. Maybe the pack as a whole came out in 80, but definitely the games themselves in 79. So I thought it was safe to cover them now. But um, there's a couple in this pack. Uh, first, that we have Star Wars by, again, Simutech. It's a trench Star Wars type game where you have to shoot TIE fighters and then shoot Tarth Vader and then uh, torpedo the Death Star. So it sounds pretty cool, but... It was pretty simple, uh, you know, it's very reminiscent of a Bob Bishop kind of uh, type game, so right. I didn't think it was different enough to warrant a big review. 
And then we have Invasion Warg, also by Simutech, which was a strategy game where you move forces between planets to defend from an invasion, but no real visuals there. So just to mention, and then we also have Space Target by Simutech, which is a classic target shooting game, but you actually guide the missile and choose when to detonate it. Uh, so when you hit a ship, then you can hit the parachute and the pilot too. It actually has some pretty good animations and sounds for a TRS-80 game. Mm -hmm. And then rounding off the end of the pack here, we've got Saucers, and um, which was a shooting game, and Graphic Trek 2000, which was a Trek 80 type game, both of which we've seen before in the past. So nothing too crazy there. And now just another random TRS-80 game, uh, Dancing Demon by Leo Christofferson. Uh, who is, if you don't remember, the guy of Android Nim fame who just can make really weird, intricate animations on the TRS-80. Uh, and this game is not really that different. It's not really a game, but it is cool. You input musical notes into this uh, system, and then you input dance moves, and it plays back the musical notes and makes the animated demon dance whatever dance moves you want it to uh so <laughs> just kind of a weird little program but kind of cool and has some nice animation to it mm -hmm. and then another leo christopherson one this one came out in the september issue of 80 us magazine which is a more general magazine that includes stuff from like radio electronics and stuff i mean it's a pretty broad magazine but it's starting to make some games and there's some interesting ones but one of them that came out in September here is Bee Wary by Leo Christofferson. It's a game where you're a bee and you have to try to sting a spider. And pretty much I played it and it's like there's a spider sprite that has the classic Leo Christofferson look to it and nice animations. Same thing with the bee, but I have no idea how to play it. I kept trying <laughs> and like I guess you have to be right above the spider and then like you hit the space bar and your bee goes down and stings it. But then if you're right above the spider, the spider could also jump up and get you. And there's no health bars. And I just kept doing it and nobody died or, and nothing happened. So <laughs> I was like, is there a game here or what's going on? So seems kind of weird, but it does have some nice animations and sprites. So Always some interesting stuff. I'm curious if he's going to keep going with this trend. <laughs> yeah. But then next up, we have the only game I rated for today. And man, it is a big one. Uh, Eamon's Beginner's Cave and Main Hall. Uh, these are like two different sections of this game that came on the same diskette. And they were made by Donald Brown in late 1979 for the Apple II computer. Uh, so there's been some debate. Most things, when you look up when the Eamon series of CRPGs came out, they will say 1980. But a guy named Jimmy Mayer, aka the Digital Antiquarian, did a lot of research, including talking to um, the founder of like the fan club for this CRPG system. And he concluded that the first iteration of the Eamon system came out in late 1979. So that's what we're going to go with. Uh, but Donald Brown himself, the guy who made the Eamon system, was interested in computers at a young age when he was going to college. I think his dad got him an Apple II, so he started messing around with that. 
And at the same time, he started playing a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. So we've seen the story before. Uh, <laughs> yep. Someone's, we know how this plays out. <laughs> yep. Messing with Dungeons and Dragons. And they're like, wait a sec. What if we put them together? <laughs> um, so he did just that. Put D&D and computer together. But he did it in a very unique way. He created the first system and series of games that allowed you to carry over the same character to progress through multiple campaigns. We've seen similar things before, I think, with adventure games or like text adventure games, but nothing like this where you can actually gather equipment, bring it back, and then go on a totally new adventure uh, in a different world. Because this isn't pet at five where you're going back into the same dungeon onto different floors and you can level up. This is like separate stories or text adventures with RPG gameplay, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think there was maybe a Play-Doh game that I played that had three dungeons in it that you could take your character through. But, uh, I know this, this is a much more complex system and there's a lot more than three. So eventually, yes. Yeah. Um, definitely different yeah and and that's true plato did do some things like moria where it's basically an open world with four different dungeons in it i think mm -hmm. but this again is like a an expandable system um and it was non-commercially released and on the start screen uh donald brown even says hey like please here's how you do it make your own adventures in what was officially called the wonderful world of Eamon." So we're going to be seeing lots of things for this. People still make these today. Uh, I found this great app for Windows computers where you can run like the hundreds of Eamon games that have been made since uh, its creation. <laughs> so it's got a lot of cool stuff to it. And this is just the start of it. So since it released as the Beginner's Cave, which is the first uh, adventure that Donald Brown made, and Main Hall, which is sort of the base camp for the game. I'm going to be reviewing them both in one, so the reviews might be skewed because they do include not only one campaign, but also this incredible system that he made. <laughs> but let me break down the gameplay for you. I talked about it a little bit, um, but there's some things I really liked about it and some interesting stuff it has going on. Right at the start, you enter this bar which is the main hall and you have the option to either uh, go to the desk and talk to the guy who registers you for the adventurers guild or to go up to a table where a bunch of men and women are drinking uh, and if you go up to the table you just instantly die they're like wait you're not part of the adventurers guild and they kill you so <laughs> even <laughs> okay. before you enter any text adventure there are ways that you can instantly die in this uh, but that's mainly just a joke because that's before you even created your character. But you go up to the desk, you say your name, and if it's a name of a character that already exists, they'll say, hey, welcome back. It's good to see you. Let's get you going on your next adventure. But if it's a new name, they create a character with you or for you, which I think has somewhat randomly rolled stats. You only have three stats in this. It's charisma, hardiness, and... To be honest, I forget the third, but I don't think it ever mattered to me. It might have been mana because I didn't really use any magic in uh, my playthrough so far. Okay. But hardiness is basically your HP 
it's not like other games where it progressively goes down when you get hit and permanently stays down it's more like an actual modern hp where you have a max and then it replenishes when you take a healing potion or go back to home base or anything like that and hardiness also determines your max carrying capacity in this because there's lots of looting and it's like 10 times your hardiness is your uh, carrying capacity as of the beginner's cave i haven't figured out how to level and increase stats but i have got lots of gear but i'm assuming you can level somehow down the line uh, but other than that after you make your character you get your stats you get these very detailed instructions which take a while to read through but i really appreciated them they tell you that there are five different weapon classes i believe it's mace axe sword spear and bow all of which have from top to bottom like mace is the easiest to use it has a plus 20 percent chance to hit but it's less damage uh, in the expanded mm -hmm. version that i played it actually showed how the stats work in the back of it when you're looking at each of the weapons and it's basically 1d4 if you're talking in DD terms for a mace versus 1d6 for an axe but an axe has less chance to hit stuff like that um so there's tons of like actual DD stat depth in this there's also armor classes which the heavier you go, the more you're protected and the less hits you take, but also the harder it is for you to hit enemies, which is an interesting trade-off. Same thing with a shield. If you had a shield, it makes it harder to hit enemies and you can only use shields with one-handed weapons. And one of the coolest things is that as you use certain types of armor and weapons, you also gain proficiency with them uh, automatically just by using them in combat. And that I think decreases the chance to hit penalty for armor and increases the chance to hit on weapons for each class. Uh, so there's a lot of in-depth stuff there, which you can only do with something where you're actually having a persistent character, really. And this has a lot of weird stuff in common with uh, the game that you played too, Ben, Treasure Dungeon 2. So it's really interesting how some small differences can make a game uh, much more impactful because this has the same health system where you can't see your health your character's just oh, like okay. oh i'm not feeling so great it does have the benefit of in combat even though it doesn't show you the enemy's health it says you hit the bear the bear isn't looking too good uh you hit the bear the bear's on death's door so like you have stages and i think that's a very D, &D inspired thing you know where the dm doesn't let you know exactly how much health the monster has left so this kind of does that same thing and then also after you read all the instructions, after you're done creating your character, you find out for some reason that the guy who gives you the game instructions is Spock from Star Trek. So I don't know. Random nerd okay. stuff, you know. Uh, but that's kind of the base of it. It's a text adventure, CRPG combo thing. There's no visuals, which sucks, but it does do some good stuff to make up for it. And it's just got so much unique charm. So getting into the beginner's cave itself i just wanted to give some highlights of my experience in it before i get into my ratings for one in the beginner's cave there's a mimic chest which i just love that <laughs> right in the <laughs> beginner's cave you try to open a chest and it says three tentacles pop out of the chest and grab you and you have to fight back to kill it it drops a ring there's no like looting of bodies but they say in the text description what they drop every time they drop them there's also some weird humor in the game which i like 
uh, since it's the beginner's cave, it's a really simple layout. So you go through three different rooms going south in every direction, and it says there's rooms to east and the west. There's rooms to east and the west. And then the third time you go into the room, it says, to your incredible surprise, there's a room to the east and to the west. So like, it's got some dumb like slapstick humor in it, which I like. Every time you enter a room, it has this unique system where it gives you the classic text adventure detailed description of what's going on in the room, what some of the interactable objects might be. But the second time and all the subsequent times that you enter the room, it gives you a little abridged description, uh, which is nice. It doesn't like scroll everything off the screen with a huge wall of text, but then you can say examine to look at the room and it'll give you the whole detail description again. Um, there's characters that you can interact with by smiling at them or waving at them. And depending on your charisma, it rolls a random stat and they'll either attack you or be your friend. Uh, so I had like two allies that just randomly started fighting beside me during the mission. Um, but if there's somebody who's, you know, programmed to always be an enemy, I tried to smile at them and I got a line that says, as you smile at them, they attack you. So <laughs> there's some nice random stuff like that too. The combat, I should say, before I get too sidetracked, is, again, very similar to Treasure Dungeon 2. It's just turn-taking, although the turn happens all at once. So you would say, I attack the troll or whatever, and then it says, you attacked, you missed. The troll attacked you, he missed. Or the troll attacked you, hit your armor, but you didn't take any damage, and stuff like that. But because there's, like, chance to hit, different weapons, all this cool stuff to it. It interest me, interested me a lot more, even though it's a pretty simple system on its own. One thing as I was playing through that I really didn't like is that there are still instant death mechanics. There's a book that I examined and because I knew something bad was going to happen, but I was like, well, yeah, I should read this ominous mystical book. Instantly killed me. Uh, thankfully, that was before I learned that I could play it on this uh, other program called Eamon Ultimate, where I could actually save my character, so I basically just started over. Um, but yeah, there's, suffice to say, a lot going on here. So I'm going to go into my ratings before I just kind of talk about nothing for the rest of the episode. <laughs> so for graphics, I gave it a 1 out of 10. Eamon is a text adventure, so there's not much to say here. Uh, it has a really cool dragon illustration on the title screen, which is sort of a hallmark of the series on all the wikis for Eamon. You'll see that there. Uh, it also has some pretty good item and room descriptions, but again, it's not anything visual, really. For sounds, also text adventure, so 0 out of 10. But there's the caveat that apparently this system was set up to support sounds in future releases. So I don't know if any of the versions that Donald Brown releases are going to have sounds in them, or if it's going to be something where he leaves it to other game designers to do it, but there may be sounds in Eamon games in the future, so looking forward to that. And then now, of course, to the big one, gameplay. I gave it a 3.5 out of 10. It's so simple, but it's just fantastic. Instead of having one-off text adventures where you're, you know, hunting a vampire in Dracula's castle, you're actually controlling a character. You have weapons and armor that persists. You can learn spells. You can 
sell everything after you go on this adventure and then use it to buy new equipment for a totally new adventure. So it's just got some really cool RPG aspects there, but then it melds in the unique storytelling of text adventures with some cool monster descriptions. Uh, even the Beginner's Cave had a secret area with a cool fight and somebody you can rescue where you get a gold reward for rescuing them. So I can tell there's going to be lots of cool, unique scenarios made in these different adventures. The fighting is simple, turn-based attacking, but I love the fact that the more I successfully attack, the more my skill with that weapon improves. Uh, there's even interesting stuff that switches up the turn-based combat like people can just spontaneously instead of attacking run away from you and it'll tell you what direction they ran and then you can go into that room to chase them to fight them but that also creates situations where they run into a room that already has enemies in it and then you're in a fight with five enemies instead of two or something like that so uh, it has a dynamic aspect to it there there's also a random chance that anyone while attacking can drop their weapon on the ground which is pretty hilarious. When I fought the like pirate boss at the end of the beginner's cave, he lit his magical sword on fire and then dropped it on his first turn. And then instead of attacking on my <laughs> second turn, I just picked it up. And then he just punched so you've me got for a the fire rest. sword? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he didn't even get to use it for the rest of the fight because I just picked it up. So he couldn't get it. <laughs> uh, so there's just so many unique scenarios. And the fact that this is just the beginner's cave, and I know that tons of other people are going to be making adventures for this, has me super excited for the gameplay down the line, and thrilled that it's like a modern game where I can bring the character I made into all of those unique dungeons. Uh, so the gameplay was super fun. Even though it was so simple, the system backing it up is awesome. Sounds like there's a lot of like unique little one-off things that can happen just with the pirate or just with a troll or something that that makes them different than just the same monster with a different health number you know what i mean yeah there's and a that's, little bit of character there yeah and that's the benefit of having these like separate text adventures that were basically different discs that you would run after you loaded your character uh is that somebody can put all the time and attention and detail into the cool descriptions and cool encounters that are normally in text adventures but now in the context of a rpg where you can actually like level a character so it's definitely got a lot of flexibility and a real exciting future to it but moving on to relevance i mean i've talked about it a lot but it's still around today i think it has hundreds of adventures made by hundreds of different people if not thousands of uh, adventures and it's the first type of game that we've seen implement this type of multiple adventure character progression. Uh, and it's just really innovative. I didn't know this name of this game before doing research a couple months ago. So I'm surprised based on how impactful it is that I haven't heard of it. But it seems to be a really well-respected CRPG platform even today. So I think it's pretty uh, relevant in video game history. And so overall, uh, the numbers didn't really add up, so I skewed the score a bit. <laughs> Even though it has no graphics and sound, I still gave it a 3 out of 10 overall, just because it's so fun and such an exciting base for things to be built off of. 
Beginner's Cave might not be the most exciting adventure in itself, but the fact that that's paired with the main hall and this whole even system, I think makes it a really good game. Yeah, it sounds cool. I'm excited to see what else we'll get from it. Um, as you were talking, Wes, I looked up uh, how to level up in the game. Oh, okay. And yeah. uh, as far as the attributes go, which are hardiness, agility, and charisma, you can't level those up. <laughs> it says, um, I mean, magical items can, can alter them, but it says a player who starts life as a 90-pound weakling will remain one until he dies. <laughs> That's what it says in the manual. <laughs> okay. Well, then I got so, uh, a... Uh interesting future ahead with this character because i rolled pretty low <laughs> <laughs> well there are um i guess like your um your expertise in the weapons and stuff does yes. go up yeah which when you said dexterity that reminded me dexterity governs your chance to hit and chance to dodge i think so leveling... uh, uh, agility 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 not dexterity yeah um you can basically make up for that by getting armor skill and weapon skill so that's good yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it feels like a pretty much um a little MMO almost. Even though there's not other people, but with the addition of the um, what's it called the main hall, it's kind of a kind of a hub zone. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to check in with it later, see how some of the other adventures are. But for now, I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> yeah, and it's got its own wiki. So I mean, this is a very active, lively community. So yeah definitely pretty cool all right but we got just one more for you guys before we go today it's adventure six strange odyssey from scott adams and uh adventure international um came out either in september or october i'm not too sure but it was for all big three computers the trs80 apple II, and commodore pet um i did not rate this one because or even really look into it too much because it just wasn't uh regarded as one of the better ones and we have done like the count is regarded as the best one i think that they did uh, certainly 79 so this one wasn't close to the topic it's back to the collect treasures kind of game i think there's only six treasures in this one but um maybe he's just like you know he, he did like three games that have been away from the uh collect treasures kind of formula and then he was like you know what People are going to be mad if I don't get back to that or something. Right. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Strange Odyssey is themed in a sci-fi kind of thing. And it's kind of got like a little hub section too. Your main room that you start in has eight doorways. And uh, only one is open at a time. It's like almost opening like portals. And uh, you have to like push a button in the middle of the room to open up a different portal one at a time. Hmm. And then pick which one you want to go into. So... um. It seemed okay, but it's pretty much collect the treasures. The puzzles are very simple in it. And, um, you know, without any kind of story, it just wasn't very interesting. It's all text-based again, so uh, nothing new there. So I just left it as a mention. Maybe we'll hit his, uh, his seventh one whenever that comes out, but I'm sure it'll come out pretty soon. Yeah, he's been pumping them out. <laughs> yeah. But with that, we are going to end today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it either Emon or Amon, I'm not sure how, how you pronounce it, but sounds really cool. I'm really happy we got to check that one out. And we also checked out a couple small computer games, including Tranquility Base, B29 Bomber on the Commodore Pet, and Treasure Dungeon 2 from Softside Magazine. So, pretty cool ones today. 
Definitely. And make sure to check out our website for information on everything we've covered so far. You can get a good look at the total scale and what's happened so far and how it's led up to everything that we've been covering today. Uh, also make sure to send us an email if you have any questions and check us out on Twitter where we post announcements about when our episodes are going up every week. Yep. And with that, we'll see you next time where we're going to maybe cover the biggest game of the whole year, Wes, Galaxian. Oh man. Next week. I can't wait. See you guys then.